Welcome to the Recovery Hour podcast, where we choose to recover out loud by sharing our personal stories of inspiration, hope, and triumph. Together, we can end the stigma and shame typically tied to mental illness and the disease of addiction. We are proof that recovery does happen. Joy and laughter may be involved. This is the Recovery Hour with Lori Winfeld. Amy Dresner is a journalist, author, and former comedian, as well as a recovering addict and alcoholic. She has been a columnist for the addiction recovery magazine, TheFix.com, since 2012, and has freelanced for Addiction.com, Psychology Today, and many other publications. Her first book, My Fair Junkie, a memoir of getting dirty and staying clean, was published by Hachette in 2017 to rave reviews from critics and readers alike. Elle Magazine compared Dresner's darkly comic memoir to Carrie Fisher's Postcards from the Edge and Mary Carr's Lit, calling Dresner's book one for the ages. Dresner's book is currently in development for TV. She's appeared on a television show like The Doctors and on numerous radio shows and podcasts, including Dr. Drew, Rich Roll, and now The Recovery Hour. Okay, welcome Amy Dresner to The Recovery Hour podcast with Lori Winfeld. Hi, Lori. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, this is like your fifth or sixth podcast this week. Shut up. I know it's before. <laughs> they ask me and I say yes, and then they all end up coming out the same week. I can't. I can't. Okay, well, lucky for you, this is my first one ever, and it'll take me a really long time to figure out how to get this online or even on iTunes or wherever this goes. Fantastic. So. When everyone's like out of the fucking pandemic and quarantine and like everyone looks great and they're going to be like, why does she look like a cracked out Jewy ballerina? Like, why? Well, because be like, they do oh, because know that they're going to be listening to and watching Amy Dresner. Because so. <laughs> no one will cut my hair, even through a glory hole in a hazmat suit. Nobody will cut no. or color my hair. Okay. But I've said this to you a million times. You just can never look bad and it's stupid. Oh and God, other- shut up. Listen, if I had a reason to kiss your ass, then you could be mad at me, but I I don't because you're already on. So I'm just saying that because I'm being honest. So stop being so hard on yourself. God. God. So I want to... The whole thing's going to be about body dysmorphic disorder and... (laughs) Oh, God, girl. Yeah, this has nothing to do with her book. This has nothing to do with... This is going to be about... Yeah. Yeah. Self-esteem and body dysmorphic disorder. So welcome. Who who better to tell them? Everyone looks like garbage, okay? Everyone looks like garbaggio right now. And like also, (laughs) it was so funny. Like, so I have my like like prescription glass, sunglasses, and like a mask on when I'm walking around. Like, you know, and my dad said to me, who's still going through fucking chemo. Oh my gosh. I know. He's like, oh, that's not worrisome at all. Cause people who are he's 82. He just had chemo on Wednesday. Is he not freaking out to be in the public? No. Oh He's God. just like, I'm fine. I don't even throw up. I don't even feel it. I'm fine. What are you working on? He doesn't even care. He's fine. What are you working like, on? My sixth podcast, Dad. Yeah, That's what my I'm do- on. the doctors are just like, what? Anyway, um, he goes, you can't, you know, you, you drive around and everyone's got a mask on. You can't even tell if broads are good looking. I was like, oh, <laughs> my God. It's true, though. Everyone, like, if you've got pretty eyes, like, this is the time. If you have shitty teeth or, like, a fucking huge schnoz, like, this is the time. All my Jewish friends, they're like, these masks are tight on my nose. I'm like, they're not made for Jews. I don't know what to tell you. Like, they're There like, you go. There's your next business. <laughs> I know. Masks for Jews. You mm. have a strong nose. 
Like everyone's like, it's really tight on my nose. I'm like, they're not made for Jews. You can't charge too much though. I look like a pretty nurse. I'm just like all like all eyelashes. You do, see? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. You mentioned you're onto your, this might be your sixth podcast this week, which is grueling. It's a lot. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) You have so much. I don't, everyone's like, I know you're like, give me new material. I'm like, bitch, I've been in my house for two months. What new material would you like? I want something other what, than. What would you like? My new nap schedule? Uh, That's maybe some pictures the of a cat. The different thing that I'm eating. What would you like? I would a, like a to talk. I, I honestly do. Have no, some- it's a nightmare. This is this sucks, and it's like everyone's saying like, oh, drug addicts should be completely like set up for this because we've spent you know months or years just like getting high in our houses by ourselves or been in rehab and been in lockdown or been in jail and we should totally set up for this. You know, and I work from home, so like partly I am, but it's nice to be able to go places if you want to. Nothing's open here. I'm in West Hollywood. Nothing's fucking open. Nothing. I'm serious. I hear you. The market and the pharmacy and that is it. Well, and when you're an addict or recovering from something, you are a control freak. And if you're told not to do something, it's typically when you just want to do it so bad. So while- There's all these protests. You've seen those. And I don't think they're addicts, but there's all these protests. They're like, liberty. It's like, oh, you want (laughs) to die, motherfuckers? Like, okay. Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know people who've gotten it and I know Mm -hmm. people whose parents have died of it. Mm. And it's real. And I mean, I think that the fact that like, you know, we don't know how it's transmitted is fucking scary. And I mean, just the whole, I mean, I was a sex addict. Like I barebacked strangers. Like, (laughs) thank God that's, that period's over. My God. (laughs) Yeah. Now I'm like a Lysoling and spraying everything down with alcohol and washing my hands 900 times. I mean, we're really anal. I have people that will come and do my hair at the house and my roommate will not let them. Good for him. Well, he uh, his hair's out of control too. I'm just like no. Okay. My husband's been saying the same thing. He wants to go, and I'm like, no, that shit's not going down. We're not. No, doing that. I know. Like, yeah, like they're like, oh yeah, someone is doing like a zillion house calls. Yeah, you know. So, why well, just don't have a good immune system? So yeah, it's terrible. A lot of people have lost their jobs. I tried to do gig unemployment, and I opened the website, and I started crying, and oh. so I just got totally overwhelmed because I can't do adult things. <laughs> yeah. Still, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of paperwork. That looks overwhelming. Flipped out and was like, not today. It's really hard. I mean, I also, my roommate's usually part time and he's in New York. And so we're like really up in each other's grill. And that's new. And he's gay and he snapped at me, like literally, like, I went, this guy, da da da. And he goes, enough. And he snapped, like literally, like, snapped at me. And it worked. <laughs> you shut the <laughs> I shut the fuck up. I was like All right, girl. I'm gonna yeah. try that during this podcast. <laughs> Next question. Snap. It's I mean, insane. It's so fucking weird. And I feel I've written a couple articles about it. I think that it is well, I've seen already a lot of people relapse. You I've have seen, seen it firsthand mm-hmm. that people are relapsing. You know, people have. Mm-hmm. What are they doing? What is happening? Like, run me through that. Is someone sitting at home alone and like, my life sucks and I'm just going to start shooting up? Is someone thinking, I can't get out of here. I lost my job. Like, what's what do you think is happening mentally that people have lost the will 
to continue their sobriety or recovery that they just decide um, and relapse? I think that it's, I, I, I don't even know that they've lost the will. I think that it's the perfect storm with the isolation. That's our natural state is to isolate. And now we're, we have to isolate. And Zoom meetings are great, but they're not the same as being no. in person. Like I like to hump people and hug people. We and would totally like be, be making out right now. Yeah, <laughs> and I like to and I like to hold hands and I like the physical connection. Um, it's just not the same, you know what no. I mean? As yeah, being totally. like, you know, and it's like also literally, I've been in the same sweatpants for four motherfucking days. Like, what's showering? What is that? I have forgotten. I don't like some people are like I'm really productive. Like I'm writing my third novel and I'm gonna oh get gosh. you know six pack apps. I'm like, shut up. I'm just trying not to cry every day. Like yeah. that's my goal is like not crying every day. In terms of what I've seen, I think you know, and I talked about this. It's the perfect storm. It's isolation plus mm-hmm. financial insecurity which is, you know, it's finance and romance that always takes people out. They, that's what people relapsed over. So now it's like, I mean, everyone's lo- I, everyone I know has lost their job. They're totally freaked out. A third of people in Los Angeles didn't pay their fucking rent. I mean, it's really financially terrifying. Plus ambiguity. We don't like ambiguity. We don't like what's not, we're a fearful people. And like, this is terrifying. And the lack of connection, even when you go out, people have to be six feet away from you. Everyone's wearing a fucking mask. You know, wh- how do you smile? You smile with your eyes, like Tyra Banks, like smizing, like, mm, you know, I don't even fucking know. You know what I mean? Like for <laughs> real, like, I'm not a fucking a model. I don't fucking know. Like, like fucking, I don't know, you know? And so, you know, and everyone's an enemy. And like, even, you know, in Los Angeles, no one knows how to navigate the sidewalks. Like people don't, you have to fucking walk away. Like there was a woman and she, I mean, I want to be the model of how to be kind and loving and and tolerant, but I'm also in fear. And so this woman was walking extremely close to me and I was like, get the fuck out of the way, like bitch. And I was like, just lost my shit. Like, yeah. Completely Um, opposite of loving and caring. Yeah, I was like, oops, there went that moment. Um, Just respect me, like just respect like the space. So I think that it's it's that. I think that people are thinking they have the fuckets. Right. I think people are bored out of their fucking minds. Yeah. That's a big problem. And I think boredom is a really bad thing for us. And we're stuck in the house with our heads. Like, hi. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm on this rumination. I'll get caught on something. I gotta find Lysol. And it's like three hours of me, like, fucking Googling and looking for Lysol. And I'm like, okay, whoa, dude. Yes, I really, it took me a lot a lot not to stock up on meat the other day because I saw a news article. Oh, yeah, right. Of course. Right. I saw a news article immediately. They're like, soon we're going to be shutting down. I'm like, Costco. (laughs) And I was like, wait a minute, dude. Of course. Don't be the problem. You know, don't be the problem. Yeah, and luckily I mean, yeah, I have- the hoarding thing is a fucking nightmare. It's uh, it's just weird. It's scary. We don't know when it's going to end. I mean, some people re- recover and they're fine. Yeah. And other people yeah. like are like on breathing machines and die. And it's not just older people now. It's five-year-olds. It's people, in, you know, people in their 30s and 40s are having strokes. It's like, it's fucking scary. And I think the, the unknown, we don't know enough about it. Like, do you have it in, in your immune? It doesn't really look like you're immune after you have it. So what, do you just keep getting it over and over? Like, the whole right. thing is just scary. It is. Weird. It is. So, it's, the unknown is, is not good for any of us. 
No, no, for anyone. Everyone, everyone hates that. And like you said, like addicts are really like, I got to know what's going to happen. I got to control shit. And everything's fucking out of control right now. Out of control. One of the things I love about talking with you and something that is just so heartfelt to me that speaks to me because I've probably after about a year of recovery for me, I realized I need to start screaming this shit from the rooftops. I'm sick of being in a room with other people that are like, we're all, I'm like, let's go fix everybody. If other people are telling me their story, So I am very much a proponent for recovering out loud. And I know that's something that you are as well. And I love that about you. I want to talk a little bit about, you know, we in the industry discuss stigma so much. And it really is a lot of the time stigma about addiction Mm -hmm. versus stigma about recovery. And I've found Mm -hmm. lately, the, the longer I'm in recovery and the deeper I get into this community, the more I realize that I too am being judged now, not because I was a Addicted to alcohol, but now because I am recovering from that. Well, you and know like, my saying. You know my saying, right? That's because I said thing. something on. I said something on a podcast, and someone made it into a meme. And I said, I really don't think we can break the addiction of stigma until we break the uh, stick the stigma of recovery. Yeah, and it's become a huge thing because that's. That's a big problem. And that's one of the reasons why I am not really a big proponent of anonymity. And, you know, it's like because I think it creates more people are like, you know, AA is a Christian cult and it's creepy and and it's like the skull and bone society. And I don't give a fuck how you recover. Recovering is the most badass thing you can do. It was the hardest thing I ever fucking did. It is really hard, but it's, yeah. You know, right now also there's so, you know, booze and cannabis have fucking skyrocketed. Sales right. have skyrocketed. People are just drinking and eating and smoking and watching porn through this whole thing. You know, that's how they're getting through it. And for people in recovery, it's like, I'm, I'm like, okay, shall we eat a salad and watch glow? <laughs> you know, I mean, well, like Amy- fucking... This is one of the things that I, I, and I'm sure we've had this conversation. I'd love for the listeners to hear is for me as what I would consider, you know, in in the olden days, I was a drunken housewife, right? My go-to was alcohol and I am an all or nothing person. I wasn't about one glass of anything or one shot. It was always like bottles of, and I'm a a little person. I recently had... Are you a little person? Really? Maybe not compared to you. Yeah. Comparable, like little person, not. It's like what they... Oh my God. I mean, like I'm not... I'm below the average weight for my height. What the fuck is that called? I don't even know. Like... I mean, I don't weigh a lot. So if I drink a lot, like I should get shit based fast. Right. Okay. That's what I mean. All right. Wow. Some attitude. Okay. All right. I would... I would would advise you for future things to just like tone that down a little bit for other guests. Point of... The point of all this, bitch, was that I love you. Okay. My point is I'm telling you this story about me drinking and knowing that that's a problem. Right. In recovery, I have found in my community with people that I found myself close to really second guessing and kind of talking on the side about, oh, she's just a housewife that drank too much wine because I'm not a meth addict or because I haven't uh, been to prison. Uh, you know, it's like oh, my yeah. low wasn't low enough. Mm-hmm. And I yeah, think there's about, that. That's 
I think that's a flipping of shame. I think, okay, that whole thing of like the worse you were, like the more badass you are is super fucking stupid. And I'm completely guilty of that. Totally guilty of doing that. But, you know, being like, I shot coke in my neck and I gave myself epilepsy for meth and blah, blah, blah. It is, I think it is a flipping of shame. So how do you make something that you're really shameful of cool and badass? And I also think, so I think it's dangerous because I think that people think they need to get to that place before that they they can recover or start. And I think it also makes people who like you or just like fucking winos or whatever, like people who didn't really go to prison or didn't go into intravenous drug use, which again is, or meth, those are the two things I think are highly stigmatized in the drug world, even within drug addicts. I found meth and IV drug use is like a whole other level where even like cokeheads are like, ew, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like even crackheads are like, ew, you shot up. Like, right. like, like meth is like bottom of the barrel. But I think it's dangerous because I think a lot of people feel like, oh, I don't belong here because I didn't hit this bottom. I didn't right. do this. I didn't do that. And I think that that's a very dangerous message to give to people. I completely agree. And I luckily have the tools, I believe, to recognize because of others' input that I have helped them because others are in my same state, right? There's, in my opinion, there's no same rock bottom. There's no, your bottom is is not always the same for some. But alcohol is extraordinarily destructive. I mean, to like down the play that, 80,000 people a year die of fucking alcoholism. And it's like, there are people who have like drank themselves to death. I was just talking with Joe Schrank and it was like a, a poet who like literally drank himself to death at like 29. And it's really hard on women's bodies. So, I mean, I didn't drink a lot because I was so out of control when I drank. Like I was like a blackout and I was naked and violent and weird. And like, it was so scary. And so, and I didn't, and I would throw up so much and whatever. So I was like, I kind of was like, "Mm, what is there that I, that can alter me where I can still sort of be coherent and not go into some time warp and wake up in some dude's bed and not know where my car is. And do you know what I mean? Have punched out a guard and whatever like I totally so, know what you mean, I mean that was my alcohol life. is is serious shit <laughs> totally and that's what I guess because I lived it and experienced it I recognize that and so for other yeah. women and men that are going through recovery even at this point being locked into the house or when we're out and we're at events and we've talked about this before when there's alcohol around right you if you did meth or if you did cocaine or if you did heroin whatever that is that's not available to you everywhere you go, right? Of course. It's not available to you everywhere you go. I mean, yeah. I go to the freaking corner store just so I can go get my kid a Twix. And then I'm like, right. oh, hey, by the way, wine's on sale today. So it well, is- Well, that's like, yeah, it's more, it's, it's harder to get sober off of that because it's available everywhere. Do you know what I mean? And it's at every party. There aren't people like snorting meth at every fucking party. You know what I mean? You don't show up at a party, you know, know, with a fucking bunch of syringes and be like, you know, in a a six pack of beer and be like, I'm here. What's up, motherfuckers? You know, and so that's the whole thing. I think it's harder to get clean off of alcohol. I think it's harder to get to put down a sex addiction or love addiction because that's part of the culture. What are you going to just shut down and be a nun like I've been for the last three years? It's fantastic. And marry your cat. Like, that's what I'm looking at. Or, you know what I mean? And like also food stuff, 
you know, I had an issue with food and it's like, that's another thing where you have to learn to moderate because it's fucking everywhere. You know what I mean? I'm not saying you have to moderate alcohol, but I'm saying there are things that are everywhere and there's stuff like there that is not everywhere. Gambling isn't really, I mean, there's gambling online, I guess, but like, you know, or if you live in Reno, you know, Vegas or Reno is probably not the best place. So, you know what I mean? But it's like, for me, I have a much easier time with abstinence than I do with any type of moderation of that stuff, you know? And I think that that's the extremism of being an alcoholic or an addict. We're like, you know, we're either working out every day or we're like a couch potato. Like, that's it. Like, we're either fucking meditating and, you know, we have a pillow and fucking incense or we're blowing people. We're just not, there's no middle ground. Right. Do you you think your, you just mentioned your sex addiction. Do you, do you believe that's the toughest addiction that you're recovering from? I think the love addiction is the worst. That's the worst. That's yeah. the one that really is that the sex addiction is that was just me trying to get out of my body and get dopamine. And it was just, it really wasn't about sex. And so it, the love addiction, I think is the really hard thing, which I don't seem to have gotten a grip on where I attach to people too quickly. I idealize them. I don't have good boundaries. I was connected to some weird childhood trauma. So I think for me, that's the most deep rooted thing that I haven't really gotten a great handle on yet. Assumption is that you're working on that. Are there specific things that help you when you feel that you're getting a little deeper into the idealization of certain relationships or those people? I mean, I've kind of been sort of off the radar. You know, I I joined Hinge really, really briefly. And I just, honestly, I was like invisible. Like when I was 42, it was like shooting fish in a barrel. And I was like, when I was 42 on on Tinder, it was like fucking just like, oh my God, it was so easy. Yeah. But at 50, I'm out of everyone's range. Well, no one will even look at me. They don't even look 50. No, it doesn't matter because you get to set the parameters of the range that you're looking for. So right. it's like, I don't look fucking 50, but that doesn't fucking matter because I'm not coming up on their thing. So you said this. So it's like, so I just, I, I mean, I went on Hinge and. What is Hinge? Like someone, it's a fucking dating app. Okay. I don't know. I'm and, old and married. Yeah. Okay. And, um, and I was like, I'd heard that it was like less hookup-y and creepy than Tinder and less sort of work than match where you have to fill out like a thesis about yourself to fucking. You like, can't. I You're like, like, no. You know what I mean? Like, no. And um, immediately, either people were boring or like overly sexual. And I was like, no, I'm out. I'm done. It was like, it, it grosses me out now. Now you were recently maybe into someone, but did you find yourself getting back to that love addiction? Totally. Place? I got, that was, I would completely got hooked into a weird obsessive state. And it was the person, the one person I'd had any sexual contact with in years and I just like glommed onto them. It's so funny you should bring them up because they just reappeared and were like, hi, how are you holding up? And then I had like dreams about him all night, sex dreams. I was like, oh good. I was like, perfect. Yeah. And I said that. I was like, you know, I mean, I made some joke, I, you know, about the, I said, I need a, you know, a haircut. Do you know anyone does glory, you know, does them through a glory hole in a hazmat suit? He's like, I will. And I go, will you do other things? Of course he said that. a glory hole in a hazmat suit? He's like, I will. And I was like, oh fuck. And then I dreamt I had sex dreams about him all night. Of and course. I was like, God damn it. And this is like the most 
unavailable person on the planet that I've been chasing since I was at your event. That was the person. Yes. That was fall of 19. Yeah. Hi. Hi. And I mean, there's so many times where I've been like, you know, I'm you know persistent, but I'm not stupid and I'm not going to contact you anymore. And then I'm like, hey, hope you're doing well. I'm like, oh, <laughs> God. Like, right. Or he'll be like, like, listen, hey, how are you holding up? I'm like, oh, hi. You know, I'm like, talking I'm your number. Oh, the worst. The fucking worst. I'm the worst. This person oh, has like shit. a hook in me. I'm like, what the fuck, man? Huh. And I know like this is the perfect time like to get to know someone because like condom sales are down because hookups are on the D, de- uh, like no one's hooking up because they're freaked out about Corona. Yeah, because they're going to fucking die. Right. So this is the perfect time to like get to know someone slowly. And it was like, well, there's just, you know, nobody. I mean, there there was someone else I was interested in. And then he turned out to be a complete fucking psychopath. I'm like a magnet for psychopaths. I was going to say, it seems like a trend for you. Yeah. So maybe you can help. Maybe somebody can help you like with your picker. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Like it's late for that. I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, I think the thing is when you see a red flag is to like, just be like, bye. You know what I mean? Like fucking I'm out of here. And do you I mean, have that? Yeah. I see the red flags and then I think, well, this time it'll be different. Like, you know, make them. In. Like, I saw a meme that was like, I took all the red flags that I saw and I made them into a beautiful scarf. And I was like, that's me. Oh, girl. You know what I mean? That is you. I know. So what, um, so Mr. X, what wound up happening? Like, what did you do with his, what did you do with this message of, Hey, how's it going? Is he coming over to cut your hair in a hazmat suit or to bone you through the glory hole? No, I asked him to speak. So we'll see if he even goes for that. I said, aside from my sexual harassment and all the pornographic dreams I had about you last night, would you be willing to speak (laughs) at this meeting? We'll see. Cool. I don't love it. I mean, I just so we talked a little bit about the podcast situation. So you're hot and heavy on that. And I appreciate your time. Thank you for that. What I really wanted to talk to you about, I know everyone discusses your book, which is amazing. And I I listened to it. I never read through it. I listened to you read it, which was so cool because I would create my own story if I didn't hear your voice. A lot um, of people the- prefer the audiobook. They feel like the, they liked me talking about, they liked hearing my voice and they felt like I was their friend and blah, blah, blah. It's weird because of the quarantine, people are reading more than ever. And like right. the book's like weirdly popular. Like more and more people are messaging me about it. And I'm like, this is, to- this is, this is the best thing that ever happened in my career. You're um, like, hello, that came out a long time ago. <laughs> I know, I haven't started the second <laughs> I am working on the pilot though. I'm working on a second version of the pilot with someone, yes. a big shot. And so this will become a TV series. God will. Yes, girl. So you were in 2019, there was discussion of that and someone picked it up and that kind of went that, south. Yeah, that fell through. I was sort of cut out of the writing process that was optioned by a big company and that sort of didn't really work out, which is very Hollywood. And now one of the producers, we we found someone who's a big writer and producer on a TV, a network TV show, reached out to me who I knew from stand up and was like, why is your book a series? I was like, well, hold Hello, good question. And he knows structure. And so we started writing a new pilot together, which is was really fun meeting up every week until this hit. And now Oh yeah. Yeah. So is that so, on hold or are you trying I know, to do that? We're working on it remotely. But um 
he's a neurotic Jew. So it's like, I see him like working on it, like with a coffee filter strapped to his face in his backyard. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, I fucking love you. So yeah, that's still happening. And that's uh, amazing. You know, just trying to be of service right now. I think it's funny. Everyone's just like, you know, let's talk to Amy about how to stay sober during the pandemic. And I'm like, okay, like I'll tell you how to like the, the best times to cry also. Like I'm not having the easiest time. I mean, both my parents are ill. My mom's, you know, like you said, my mom has dementia. She's in a fucking assisted living. And my That's- dad is still going through chemo. You know, this is the perfect time. And it's like, I think, I think there's a, a middle ground between being productive and using the time wisely and also like allowing yourself to feel the feelings because this is fucking scary. You know what I mean? I like, do know what you mean. Or napping or whatever or being, you know, it's ter- It's kind of terrifying. The feeling the feelings is interesting because I had recently experienced that last weekend. I had a four-day stint of pretty serious depression. Mm-hmm. And as it started coming up, I wasn't really sure what was happening. I just mm-hmm. pushed it off to probably that time of the month, which is right, such right, a stupid right, right, thing right. to say. No, it's um, not though. It's not though. Although when a guy says, you know, are you, you know, premenstrual? Are you in your period? I want to stab him. But at yes. the same time, when I look at like the I period thing and I see that I'm premenstrual or whatever, I also feel relieved and I go, okay, I'm not completely out of my fucking mind. Like whatever I'm upset about is real, but it's also being magnified by the hormones. True. So that's something to kind of look at so yeah. that I can scale it down and go, okay. You know what I mean? Like you're crying at like, you know, like we watch Dragnificent, okay? Which is like three drag queens like make some like, you know, mom over in the Midwest or whatever who lost 130 (laughs) pounds, okay? And it's not like a sad show. It's like a fucking fun makeover show, you know? And it's all drag queens. And I cried through the entire fucking show. Yeah. I was like, I looked over at my roommate and go, "Uh, is something wrong with me? Because like, I'm stopping. Yeah. He's like, I'm like, is this, this sad and moving? Like what's happening? Yeah. Like girl, we gotta like get your, you know, oh girl, you look amazing. Yes, queen. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, something's not right. Yes. Now, so you had to feel it. Like this is what kills me about recovery and how they say like work through the feeling. Boo. Yeah. I don't want to. I know. No one wants to. No one's feeling suck. No one wants to. I mean, I took a nap. A lot of, I'll just take a nap. I'll go, oh, that's it. I'm resetting. I'm taking a nap. But you know, my sponsor says, invite your feelings for a cup of tea. Like have them, you know, come to, come to the table and like, oh, hi. Okay. Here's sadness or depression. Like, like, and then just, you, you sit in it, you like, in, you feel it and you convene with it for 20 minutes and then you move the fuck on with your day. You take action and you move on with your day. You have you to. don't let, because otherwise, you know, our natural th- state is to just fucking stew in that shit and spiral down. It's so true. And it's so hard to stay focused when that hits, you know, oh, it's yeah. like. And, but if you have mental illness or like depression, I mean, that, that you know, we do have like those stints where we right. just kind of take a dive and that's yeah. like part of the cycle. And you just got to be like, okay, I mean, I don't always try and fix it. I just go, oh, I'm going to hunker down. I'm, I'm, th- I'm in a depression thing and I'm just going to go into my little thing and I'm just going to wait for it to pass. And hopefully 
like not do anything super stupid. And that's why I love being part of, you know, being part of this community. And um, we have our people, right? We know who to reach out to. And everyone, and and everyone's been there and everyone gets it. No one's going to go like, what's wrong with you? Everyone's (laughs) going to go, me too, girl. Got it. Yeah, totally. Hear that. Yes. Well, if anybody's listening today, we got you. We understand. Good Lord, do we? I want to talk to you about writing. You struck a chord with me a while ago because I have often thought since I was young that I wanted to be a writer. And I actually, for a college assignment, wrote a biography or autobiography. See, this is why I shouldn't be a writer. I don't even know the Was it about you or was it, was it about someone else? It was about me. That's an autobiography. So I had an autobiography written in college. And I got an A, even though I didn't know what a fucking autobiography is. Point is, you once said at a conference when you were signing your book, which I love, by the way, My Fair Junkie, this is my autographed copy. I'll never get rid of it. That's my baby. Oh, well, we all love it. Um, And it gives hope to so many. And I think what, what happens with people, and you know this, you read a book like this, you're like, oh my God, that's my story. I want to write a book. And you're like, oh my God, everybody's a writer now. And you said that when I was like in the midst of talking about writing a book. (laughs) And I was like, I can't do this shit now because Amy Drosner's like, everybody wants to be a writer. And so I just, I kind of wanted to pick your brain about that because you are an accomplished writer. It is something that you do as a profession, but also you started from scratch. I mean, Mm -hmm. everybody starts zero experience, right? So what would you tell people that are hoping to or thinking about or saying, you know what? So many people are telling me I have to tell my story. So many people are saying you should write a book. I really want to do this. What do you say to those people that aren't professional writers that other have other professions, but enjoy that as a hobby or think that it's a calling for them to go do? I mean, see, I was raised by a writer. So I was a writer. I was a writer before I was a drug addict. So I think that what I see is that everyone now who, you know, goes through recovery wants to write a fucking memoir. And I think that, I mean, I think that the market's been saturated a little bit. Right. I think that there's been a lot of recovery memoirs. Um, And I think it's moving now into sort of more, I don't know, a different sort of how to like, recover a book like that sort of the thing like there's like so many recovery memoirs and it's like um i don't know for me for someone who wrote in co- for magazines in college and then like you know wrote for mag- wrote for magazines you know in my adulthood for years and years and years and years to build a base and then you know then wrote a book and i mean i lucked out in terms of you know getting published it's really difficult now it's really difficult to get an agent it's really difficult to get published it's really a matter of luck and what they think they're going to if they're going to sell it and also your platform that's like the huge part of it which i really dislike that it's become sort of like well how big is your instagram following because they want to know that there's built-in sales. It's not right. about how great your story is or how good of a writer you are. And so that's kind of yucky to me about the industry. But yeah, I mean, I never took any real writing courses. My father just said, don't, you know, you'll learn what you need to do from reading and from writing and from me. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> um, 
my style is very raw. I, you know, there are people that, and I've spoken at those and I'm not saying that those are bad things because there is a structure and all that kind of stuff. Um, I tried to ghost write and I wasn't very good at it. I had a really hard time doing that. Like, I think I have my voice and that's kind of what people want from me. And that's also kind of what I can do. Like, it was the same thing when I tried to be an actress and I was like, oh, I can't be anybody but myself. And then I was like, oh, then I went into comedy. You know what I mean? I was like, right. okay, I can be a comic because that's me. That's me being me. Um, I I would never dissuade anyone. I would never say quit your job and be a writer because we're all poor. We're all broke. And it sucks. It's not the best paid profession and it sucks. And it's like, you don't, I thought I was going to write this book and I was going to be in the New York Times bestseller list. I was going to buy a Tesla and a house and I was going to blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you can like, you know, stay in my pool house if you're lucky, like, and blah, blah. And like nothing fucking changed. Like I, a lot of people, it changed a lot of people's lives. And I was in Elle Magazine and I was on The Doctor's. And I got a decent amount of money for someone who was a unknown writer. And I used that money very quickly. You don't get paid tons for being a freelance writer. And it's actually really difficult to survive on that. The big money is in TV and movies. If you can get your, your book or, or movie you know, optioned and then made into a TV, you know, TV Cannot show. Cannot wait to see you. Who do you want to play you? Fucking, I don't know. I'm open. I just want someone who can do comedy and drama and kind of has like the low edgy voice and can be sort of a flat affect and sort of has, you know, a semi sort of, you know, lesbianish vibe, but it's straight, you know, like... I mean, I love you know, Lizzie like Kaplan. I love Natasha Leone. I mean, like, but again, a great actress, this is a really juicy role because you get to fuck everyone. You get to stab everybody. You get to do all the drugs. <laughs> you get to, you know what I mean? Be on the chain gang. You get to be the funny one. You know what I mean? Hey, you're not just someone, yeah, you're not just someone's girlfriend who's like, be safe. Like, you're the fucking person, you know, the main yeah. person. It's a strong, you know, it's a very, very strong role. And it's juicy. I would say for me, I mean, I haven't even started my second book. I just, I'm marinating and so much has changed since the first book. And the first book ended with me three years sober. I have seven fucking years sober now. So everyone's like, yeah. And so like that happy ending that, you know, everyone wants to know what happened to the guy at the happy ending. And like that motherfucker got long gone. If I Sorry, see that, that mother, was. If I see that, that motherfucker on the street, he better run. That's all I have to say about that. I feel like I'm gonna have my second stabbing incident. You know, yeah. Like you see me, better run the other fucking way. Um, <sighs> but you know, no, my parents is- got ill, and like you know, and I also thought that it would make me happy. I was like, I'll get this, and my whole life is gonna change, and I'll be happy. And I was proud of my accomplishment and I was help, I was so happy that I helped a lot of people. That was the best gift that came out of right. that was so many people went, oh my God, like, thank you. Thank yes. you for fucking being honest. Thank you for being so grossly honest. Grossly thank honest. Thank you for being, yeah. I mean, yeah, I haven't had a date since that fucking book came out, but I have saved lives. So who cares if I ever Well, you have I've been died. talking about uh, squirting in public, so... <laughs> You, how did you know that? Because I saw the last fucking headline. Amy Dresner speaks about to, like. Well, I mean, like I know. Well, I'm trying to also like that stigma. There's a stigma around that too, and I have weird shame around that. And that started in my 40s, and I just thought, oh fuck it. 
let's just talk about it. Yeah. You know, and try and break down some of the stigma around it. And like with, with comedy, you know, it's like some guys think it's hot and other guys are like, I don't like being waterboarded. I don't want this, you know, like, but you or have like to what just happened. They don't up. know what just yeah, happened. You've got to give them a heads up. And it's like something that I had some weirdness around, like, you know, it's almost like telling someone you have an STD, like, Hey, like I'm a squirter. Like, are you cool with that? And some guy, you know what I mean? You've got to give them a heads up. It's, yeah. it's weird. And it's, you know, it's new. Well, it's not new. It's been happening for like eight years. You're um, just talking about it. Yeah. I just decided, fuck it. I'm going to talk about it, you know? And I haven't gotten lots of creepy messages, which is like amazing. I'm like, yay. So I don't, I mean, I don't want to be the person that talks about all the fucking stuff that no one wants to talk about, but that seems to be what's happening. So. Well, like you said about the book, even it, the fact that you're so open and so raw and what's refreshing about that, regardless if it's an uncomfortable topic or not, because you have or haven't experienced what you're talking about, it's so nice to hear the unfiltered version of life, right? It's well, just like, yeah. I mean, that was the thing was like, why, why are you trying to look good in a fucking book? Like, you know, you, I think that's the hardest part about being a writer is like, you've got to write the shit you don't want to write. The stuff that you're like, I don't want everyone to know about this. I don't want to put this on the page. That's the stuff you have to put on the page because you're not alone in that. You're not unique in that. I can't tell you how many people have been like, holy fuck. Like, thank you for making me laugh at shit I was ashamed of. Like, thank you for making me not feel broken and alone. Right. And it's like, unless you're doing that in your writing, then it's just like, you know, verbal masturbation. It's just, it's vanity. Like, unless you're really fucking cracking it open, bleeding out on the page and just talking about the real shit, I don't really see the point as a, a, a nonfiction writer. You know what I mean? As an autobiographical, mm-hmm. confessional, nonfiction writer. It, it is scary though, when it, you know, when it comes out, you're like, ooh, are people going to judge me and whatever? And then you're just like, well, fuck. You're just, you're never alone in any of that stuff ever. No. Well, and that's what's so lovely. Your book, and we were just talking about some other authors um, before we started recording. And while I agree with you about the saturation of the market, you also see sort of the other side of it that's giving strength and guidance to others that want to tell their story out loud. Yeah, and I think the more that that becomes an area of a bookstore and the more that there are, the more we're going to break the stigma. Yeah. And really in the end, you for know, a lot of us. Out loud, you know. Yeah, that's what's important. So it's like, I mean, I support anyone. I'm just saying it's just not easy. It was not easy to write a book. Yeah, it's not easy and you're not going to, to be agent. famous it's immediately. It's not to get published. No, you're not. I mean, it's three years later and now the book really kind of starting to take off. You know what I mean? Which is bizarre. It's a long fucking haul, you know? And unless you're sort of famous prior, mm-hmm. you've got to sort of like the best thing that's happened to me is the messages. That's meant the most to me. You know, that was the most valuable over the money, over anything else. And there's also, you know, I feel a responsibility to my readers to write them back, but there's going to be a time where I won't be able to write every fucking reader back. No, like you're going to have I an assistant. Every fucking, I write every reader back and it's like, you know, there's going to be a time, you know, and most of them aren't totally fucking bananas, but some of them like cling on to me and like are bananas. And it's like, oh, because they have love addiction. Well, yeah. And they feel like they know me, you know what I mean? Because they've read my, like basically my fucking diary. Right. I don't know them. So there's that weird disconnect. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
So I just feel that I just hope I'm doing something that's helping like, you know, Tika Olam heal the world, like to be a fucking Jew, you know, like yeah. doing something that helps other people. That's it. That's all that matters. And taking something that was really painful and where I caused a lot of people pain and was very self-destructive and changed it into something that helps other people. Like that alleviates a lot of my guilt for what I put my fucking parents and my friends through. Well, we definitely appreciate your openness, your kindness, because you always say yes, which could be could be an issue for you over there, but it's helpful for us um, who are no, trying I to spread. Say yes, and then I take a three hour nap. It's fine. Well, I appreciate your time. I'm so excited. You are the first guest for this podcast. Thank you. I'm so honored. Oh my gosh. Amy Dresner, My Fair Junkie, a memoir of getting dirty and staying clean. Where's the best place for people to purchase this? Probably Amazon, even though people are like weird about Amazon now, but you can fucking Google it and it's on IndieBound. You know, there's used copies. It really helps when you buy a used copy or a library. It really adds to my royalties. No, I've never gotten a royalty check yet. It's like everyone's, everyone's like, I can't wait to read your book. I got the library. I'm like, uh, um, this is why I'm trying care. to find out where's the best place so that maybe you might see like 10 cents. I don't know where. I mean, I don't know which, you know, it's like buy it new, buy it at Barnes Noble. Just buy Please it. Please don't new. borrow that, this shit from your friends. Make that sure you helps, buy it. That helps me. That helps me. I love it. Don't download it off the internet. That was going around for a while. And I was oh. like, pirating kills authors. Like, we don't make any fucking money. Well, I love your yeah. energy. I'm so article. happy that you joined us. Thank you so much. It's so and... good to see you. Oh. It's good to see you. You too. Thank you so much. Amy Dresner, My Fair Junkie. Buy it new. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Recovery Hour podcast. Successful podcasts equal subscribers and good ratings. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, and subscribe. To learn more about me, your host, Lori Windfell, jump on over to therecoveryhour.com. Here you'll find information on my coaching and speaking practices, as well as information on guests of the show. If you're still listening to this and you haven't subscribed to my mom yet, what are you doing? You're lame. So go do it right now. All right, all right. Calm down. Sorry about that. He's just really excited for this to be successful since I've been spending all of my free time on this project and not with him. While you aren't lame, as my son suggests, I would really appreciate a few minutes of your time to subscribe. While it doesn't seem like much, it really does help my goal in spreading the word of recovery. Until next time, let's continue to inspire, live, and give.